0: You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network.
1: Hello there. This is Jeff Quinton coming at you. We are going to be talking very heavily about The Little Mermaid and The Flash, and especially all the wonderful things about 1989 coming back in 2023. If you would like to go into those movies unspoiled, I suggest that you turn off this podcast and come back after you see it. Turn off this podcast. Do it right now. Right now. If not, (laughs) I think they
0: turned it off.
2: Peace, world, and welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Barnard. Thank you so much again for joining us today. I'm joined by my co-host for the first time, I think in about three years. I'm going to go around the circle here. He is my husband of 12 years, Mr. Greg Me. Greg, how are you, sir? I'm just fine. I forget my 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 podcast name. I don't even know if you had one. Did you have one? Didn't I? Know? I don't think I you know had one. one, no. Anyway, on the, uh, to, I, his I left, to his left, to his left is the esteemed doctor, the smartest person in the room, Dr. Ruth Almey. How are you, Dr. Ruth?
3: Hello, Greg. And Adam, I'm doing very well. Um, Coming at you for the first time in three years.
2: (laughs) It has been quite some time. And Bay, Montana is here. The always delicious, very sexy. Jeff Quinn, how are you, sir?
1: Hey, how's it going, everybody? Yeah, it has been quite some time since we've gotten the gang back together. And this is nice to see
2: everybody. And I, I even freshly shaved for this. Mm. I like Ooh, it nice uh, and smooth. Mm. And uh, just like our voices, we are joining you again live here. Um, I guess before we get started, I wanted to just see how the hell is everybody? How has life been since the last time we talked? We were very deep into the pandemic the last time we were all together. So what the fuck's been up, y'all?
3: My big announcement, which I didn't realize a lot of you didn't know until I put it in our group chat, Recently, is that I am no longer single. Marvelous! Let's, Let's give exciting. her a round of applause, y'all.
2: Let's give her Yay. love it, love it for you. Thank Excellent you.
3: stuff. Yes, it was a many, many years process, but who's the
0: lucky fella?
3: Now, with my with my love, I'm actually at hers <laughs> right Greg, now. Greg, um,
2: wait, I love the fact that Greg tried. Like, we haven't done a show in three years, right? And Greg tries to land something there, and it just like. <laughs> <laughs> Just fucking perfect, man. Just I knew it wasn't gone. I, <laughs> <laughs> I had to anyway. Because he's hanging out there. Oh man, it was, man, it was there. right it was there, dangling it. carrot. I love it. Yeah. Well done, right. sir. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ruth. Unfortunate, unfortunately, unfortunately, th-
1: this is a situation where, in any other moment, um, I would hear Ruth use her tagline about how it is homophobic when you mildly inconvenience her <laughs> during Pride. It is Pride.
3: It is Pride. Well, it is, so it is pride so pride we'll in it. minor inconvenience. It
2: is. That's homophobic. true.
3: Man. I dis—I I I don't apologize.
2: disagree, Dr. Ruth. I—I I, I very much agree with that. So, well, we are glad. The weather
3: today, for instance, was very humid, and that was incredibly homophobic. I—I okay, I agree. I think
2: I think we should. I think we should. There there has to be someone we can talk to about this because this humidity yes. sucks. So, probably Fauci. Yeah, I'm sure it's Fauci. Greg, yeah, yeah.
3: Greg asked who my lady love, what her name is, and her name is Kara. Ooh. Um, and yeah, things are going great with that, and which is uh, also why. Uh, I wanted to take her out tonight, so let's get on
2: this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get it fucking moving, guys. Let's get this moving. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a minute. Um, I know I was listening to a, a bunch of the old shows, which you can find in the archive now. The Foundation Radio is a part of the Premier Podcast Network. Uh, you can go back and check out all of our old shows. Um, but I really wanted to get the band back together and just kind of talk about really anything. Um, and I know it's been a little crazy recently. Uh, in the world, but we're here to entertain you and we're here to have a good time. Uh, Jeff, why don't you get us started on this topic today? Because I know you're very enthralled about the throwback times it feels like these days with everything that's going on in, uh, the movies and then television. Let's get it, let's get it, let's get it popping here, pal.
1: Yeah. So, uh, this actually came up at work when I was taking my lunch break. And we were talking about what everybody's watching, what everybody's looking forward to, movies, television shows. And, you know, I was looking at the lineup, and I just had made, like, an offhand joke. I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of nice to be living back in the summer of 1989, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, Michael Keaton is Batman, and Indiana Jones is back in theaters, and so it's Little Mermaid. It's 1989, guys. Let's just, you know, (laughs) let's just... Take it for what it is, and this is a glorious time, and I thought we could take a moment to, one, reflect on a little bit how funny that is, and if we wanted to go around for anybody who's seen some of the return of 1989 content— um, I will say that I have seen everything except for Indiana Jones because it's not out
0: yet right
1: but um, full disclosure of how much we want to include spoilers for both our hosts as well as our listeners.
0: Well well I I, I want to jump in there and just let everyone give another update on 1989 retro uh, pop culture things. Uh, Russia decided to fall again, so there's that.
2: Listen, we were, yeah, we were over the political,
0: but I'm just saying, listen, decided, hey, listen,
2: listen, we had a global pandemic and we had, uh, uh, <laughs> we almost had a, the, the fall of the fucking democracy. What is, you know, what, why do we not? And the Titanic disaster at the same time. So why not just have a Russian yeah, collapse Berlin to really tie us
0: back? We're just doing it all over again.
3: That, that really seemed very early. Early 1900s to me, though, like we're we're just cramming the global pandemic, the Titanic incident, and a potential Russian revolution from like that 20-year period all into like five-year period. <laughs> uh, we're yeah, not the wasting any time.
0: World. The life of the world is just flashing before its eyes before it all goes up in flames. <laughs>
1: just also, little known little known fact: Michael Keaton was also Batman in 1912.
2: I was not aware of that, which is it. <laughs> it's amazing because we know. Listen, I'm good with spoilers. We're going to just pull it apart here. Um, if yeah. you don't want to listen to any this episode, you don't want to hear any spoilers. Please just feel free to skip this part, and uh, we're going to be talking about it for a while. So you could fast forward for a little bit, or you can just check out another episode and come back after you've watched it. But uh, I have not. Uh, full disclosure: I have not seen The Flash yet but it's out there in the world and everybody knows about it. It's not really a spoiler that Michael Keaton is in the movie. Um, How many of the three of you have seen The Flash? I guess maybe Dr. Ruth and and Greg have either of you seen the movie yet.
3: I have not Uh, and I have no intention of seeing it. So please feel free to say whatever.
2: (laughs) I was just going to say, I think that's my biggest issue with the movie itself is I'm not necessarily sure if I want to see it just because of some of the Controversy surrounding its star, um, but I'm also torn because I want to see Ben Affleck and I want to see Michael Keaton as as Batman again. Uh, so I'm having this this dichotomy of of sorts. But Jeff, let's I guess since we've we've started here, what did, what did you think of the Flash overall, and how hyped were you to see Michael Keaton as Batman again?
1: Well, I mean, to hear Michael Keaton coming back as Batman got me very excited because it's. It's a little piece of my childhood, and especially after these incredibly trying times during the pandemic, to have a little bit of that back is just really great. I'm also going to try something new for the podcast. I'm not going to talk about things that I don't like.
2: Fair. I'm just not going
1: to acknowledge them. Um, I really enjoyed The Flash. Uh, it was fun. It wasn't the most amazing movie ever, but... And, and what I'm going to be talking about in context of the movie, um, so I'm not going to touch the Ezra Miller thing. Right. It's, it's not, it's not conducive to the, the conversation about like, what did I think about the movie? There's a lot of problems that is going on with that individual. And I hope that they figure everything out with their life. All of that being said, uh, moving on from it, it was a it was a fun movie. Uh, the special effects were really bad; like they were really poorly done. I've they heard had, of like, that. had like scenes yeah. with C. They had scenes with CGI babies, but also like, do you want realistic CGI babies? Like, I know Ruth's thinking about talking babies, so like, all oh, potentially like weird CGI babies. I don't know. Yeah, see, I'm I'm getting that. God no, I'm getting that. <laughs> but. It was, it was fine.
3: The worst movie in the world to me, and I will just say what it is because, um, I know I'm not, I'm with you on not wanting to linger on things I don't like, but the movie Boss Baby disturbs me so much that I, even when I would go to the theater and like there were trailers for it, I would have to leave the theater and come back when the trailer was done because it was so viscerally upsetting
2: to me. But anyway, yeah. You're talking about the the, the CGI babies is what you're talking about?
1: Well, no, there, there's a CGI movie about a baby called Boss Baby that it, it's baby thing is just—it's it, it, weird. It's—I agree talking, with you that it's weird and it's gross.
3: Talking babies upset me. I don't know. So, <laughs> so wait, wait, hold on. I want to kind of.
2: the CGI part or the baby part? Because it's, 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 it's a baby talking. The
3: baby talking is creepy. Today. So you're, you're no, not necessarily your so
2: out. with the Boss Baby movie. You're not necessarily talking about the cartoon. Are you talking about the cartoon, or are you talking about, like... No, I'm like,
3: talking about, like, because Jeff mentioned that he knows I find talking babies disturbing, and I was like, yes. I hate Boss Baby so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so
0: I... that's the real reason why Ruth does not want to see The Flash, is... Because of CGI Boss Baby. Babies. Yeah.
1: yeah. Because of boss, boss Babies just ruined the CGI baby industry. <laughs>
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of want to explore movie, this a little bit more, but I know we have other things to talk about because I have a wasn't lot of the questions thing in
0: 1989. We gotta, we got we gotta go, keep yeah, it moving, guys. Go. We're on Jamie a fucking schedule here. This. We got, did, Ruth's, got tonight, right? Ruth's got a date tonight, alright? ruth got a date.
1: Quit your shit, so, Adam! So there was, there was a lot of fun parts of the movie overall, and honestly, the reason that I went to see it, and, you know, I caught a, pre-screener, and then I went to go see the movie, is because Michael Keaton is Batman. And it's honestly, with everything going on in the DC universe and what's happening with Warner Brothers, the only time, realistically, that we're probably going to get Michael Keaton back in the Batsuit. So, I was gonna see it, and he fucking rocked. Like, he really made you remember why he was such a memorable and good Batman it was interesting to see how they would be able to update certain things with new technology he still wears the old suit, he does a bat turn the very famous bat turn that is still the thing, yep Greg's doing it right now just the he still did it and the fact that they could update the suit so that way his head can move separately is not a thing that the director decided to do and I'm for it I am absolutely for it. It was really great. It was fun. It was also like the overall plot of the movie is the Flash goes back and changes things, and the universe gets all crazy. And then he like meets himself in the past, and it's like multiple flashes and all sorts of crazy stuff. And the multiverses are crumbling down. And the only way to like save the universes is to like go back and kill Flash's mom. That's the Flash in a nutshell. And there's this sequence, like there's these two sequences that. I really want to talk about and one is like during leading into the third act during this climax of everything it's uh, supergirl is uh consistently being killed by zod and same with michael keaton's batman and there's like this really touching moment of barry allen like holding a dying michael keaton and he's gone back in time a couple of times to try and like fix mistakes from the situation. He goes, he's like, I'm sorry. I couldn't bring you back. Bruce. I'm sorry. I couldn't bring you back. And like Michael Keaton in that like cadence, that perfect like tone just goes, you already did. And he Mm. dies in his arms. Mm. And I'm like, I'm tearing up as like the, you know, that's my Batman growing up. And it's like, yes, yes, you did bring him back. Thank (laughs) you for this gift that would never be given. And, It also had like the greatest cameo in the history of all cameos.
2: I was going to ask you about this because I saw this the other day and I I had some questions how there was a lot of discourse on on Twitter because of course there is about this particular cameo and how this person looked. So I want you to rip the bandaid off on this one and then I want you to tell me your thoughts about the cameo.
1: Okay, well, there's the the end stinger cameo, and then there's like the mul- there's the multiverse cameo. So they use a lot of this aspect of deep fakes and bringing back like old DC characters, like Christopher Reeves and George Reeves. Like they show up like different multiverses, and there's a lot to unpack about like the ethics with it. But I will say, like, yes, I got misty eyed seeing my Superman, Christopher Reed back. And the thing that like the theater erupted is there's a particular multiverse where the first thing that you see is a giant alien spider just attacking somebody. And then like the laser eyes show and it's fucking Nicolas Cage as Superman from the unmade 1990s movie, Superman lives written by Kevin Smith and supposed to be directed by tim burton and it was the greatest thing i've ever seen in the history of my life (laughs)
2: nice i i heard that uh that he had arrived in the movie and i thought it was a gag at first and then i was like oh shit no this really this really did happen but let me ask you and i guess we can sort of pull this apart um a little bit as far as like maybe the ethical implications of, of christopher reeve what did you think about his cgi appearance uh, on this, and actually, I'd, I'd kind of like to get Doctor Root's thoughts on this as well, as far as you know, Christopher Reeve and the ethics of of using a, a a dead person, essentially.
3: Well, that's that's an old topic on this podcast for me, so I think we know where I'm going to go with it. But. Which
2: you can listen to right now if you go back to FoundationRadio.net and listen to your old episodes. I'm just curious about your thoughts about Christopher Reeve in general, in being in the movie.
1: So, in, in terms of the appearance, it it was, a la sort of uh, Rogue One with. Carrie Fisher he looked like Christopher Rees from 1978 that's like he shows up the, the the smile and it it was it was Christopher Reeve like it it was very clear that it was like cg and it was not like really great looking but for me I look at the situation of like one if you're going to do something with like multiverses I understand the, the wants to be able to bring back the long-standing history of DC Comics in the film media. And I think it would be very difficult to not use the iconic Superman for so many generations if you're going to be bringing up multiple different Supermans in that movie. That being said... I think that there is an interesting ethical implication for doing that. Um I will say that for me it's it is a situation of like I know that I probably don't want to be brought back when I die in like deep fake podcasts. Uh so <laughs> so no I'm just no put AI
2: no AI Jeff.
1: No AI Jeff. God. However, One, we don't know what the situation of what the estate would say regarding what Christopher would want. At that point, it is really up to the estate. I see it as a little bit different than the Prince incident, where he was so vocal about, if you do this to me, I will be like, this is beyond acceptable. Right. Like, that was a technology that was on the cusp for Prince, whereas... We honestly don't know what Christopher Reeve would say.
3: Right. My my foundational opinion on this is very based in the Prince incident, which um, to expand upon, Prince explicitly said prior to his death that he never wanted to be recreated as a hologram. And then they did it. They did a hologram of Prince. And I thought, the man specifically said, don't do this. And I think that You know, I guess more generally my opinion about AI recreations of things is I think that, first of all, I don't think the technology is there yet to have it not have an uncanny valley thing for me. Mm. Like Mark Hamill in the created entirely AI created CG Mark Hamill in the book of Boba Fett was so disturbingly uncanny valley to me because he wasn't even doing the voice. That was an AI generated from like old audio clips of Mark Hamill and there was something off about it. And then beyond that, I think, and I'm not going to get too deep into this, but for as much as the sort of machine learning generative technology is very interesting on like a tech level, I'm very concerned about the fact that there's essentially no regulation around it currently. And there's a lot of issues with art theft Mm. of these machine learning models are being trained on art that the artist did not actually give consent or permission for that machine learning model to train on it, and now it's spitting out art that is, like, in their style. But because there's no law around it, because it's such a new technology, it's like, well, hey, wait, you stole that from me, right, is the reaction of the artist, which is a valid one. And, you know, I think with the issue of, of recreating images of people who are deceased or, like, you know, you can't, you can't know their wishes, there's something about that to me that I feel like we're full steaming ahead with this technology without pausing to think about... Like longer term ethical issues, which is, I know, you know, some people who are into tech and new things think that's boring and why do we have to bother to do that? Um, but I would like us to. And I think that also, just in the sense of like, uh, it's like how my father um, in the late 90s would, my mother used to tell me he would, he would be kept up at night thinking about the internet.
2: Because mm.
3: he was a lawyer and it was late 90s and he said, there is no legal regulation around the internet. This is going to be a disaster. And I think we've seen that borne out in certain ways in terms of like copyright ideas in the internet and all this, you know, there's been all sorts of problems with like what kind of content you can regulate and is a website responsible for the content it hosts legally. And like we've sort of been barreling ahead with this stuff without any kind of legal framework to react to it. And then you see nonsense where like, you know, they're trying to make laws on it and the people making the laws don't fully understand the technology. And it's just kind of a mishmash. But anyway, and it, long story short, that is sort of where I currently am around generative AI and its use in media is that it's we're, we're barreling forward without any kind of regulation around it and it's also uh, I guess to another point uh, and this gets to the very recent controversy around the um, opening titles for Marvel's secret invasion it's taking away real people's jobs right like that could have been a real artist who would have gotten paid to make that opening title sequence and instead the studio cut corners and there you know there's all this I talk out there from them the PR talk about oh it it was uh, it fit in with the content or whatever. But let's be real, this is a cost issue. Mm. It's a cost cutting issue and they decided to not pay a person to do that. Um and so that is that is troubling to me as well because it means that okay, so are we trying to cut paying people out of artistic industries? Are we making it impossible to
2: make a living as an artist? Because I have a problem with that. But that's that's my end of my spiel on that. <laughs> No, I I find it interesting. I, I had no idea that that um, Secret Invasion used AI. I'm actually looking at it at some stills from it right now, and it's it's you know not for anything. It's fucking weird. Like it's in a it's a very odd, it's very strange looking, and I think that's maybe the issue that I have with some of the CGI. And I I, I felt weird. I know we talked about it a little bit during our our Star Wars exploration uh, back in all the way all the way back in 2019, but Grand Moff Tarkin and you know the the way that the you know it's. It's weird to me when I hear people talk about that they can't tell that it's it's AI or, or CGI. I can always tell. I, I feel like – and I feel like our generation specifically – and Greg, I'll, I'll bounce this off of you as well. But like I feel like our generation has kind of been trained on this specific tech – and by trained, I mean, we're able to see it with our eye. Like, it's, like, it, all you have to do is look at the mouth, right? It doesn't have the human complexity of speaking, and it doesn't have the, the ability to fully mimic that. So when you see it, even though you're like, oh, cool, that's Grandma Tarkin, and I'm sure his estate was cool with this, because they wouldn't have signed off on it otherwise, it still feels very, I don't know, Greg, would you call it ghoulish? Or would you just, I, I, what, what, like, what would, I don't know, I guess ghoulish would be the right word. It just feels odd.
0: Uh, to me, it just feels like it's, um, just incorrect. I don't know if it's ghoulish, but it, it's just there's little nuances that you can see on a human face and a human uh, acting, like Gramoff talk talking. That image like is barely moving the entire time, except just the mouth and a few other muscles in the face. But if that was the actual actor, I forget his name right now, he wouldn't be rigid and still he would have just like when people stand there still you don't just you're not a still image and that's it but uh when that image came up it just looked very strange and out of place i feel like gramoff talking um yeah and i'm looking at the the secret invasion ai generated there, there's no reason for that
2: it's odd, like it looks fucking yeah. weird. Like it literally looks like yeah, somebody put it into a
0: prompt, right? Uh, the the subject matter is that it's a comic book movie, and for the beginning of ever, people have drawn comic strips, so there's no reason to have a computer generate that for you. And I think Jeff has something to
1: say on that. In, in regard. Part? I mean not I mean I think we're all in agreement in regards to the secret invasion incident that there's no reason that you should be utilizing AI art when you're making a comic book show like yeah. you right. can pay people if if you want to rip off the artists that create this art just basically do what you did for a hawkeye I mean come on <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah dude but like, I- but, that, but that being said we you know I think utilizing Rogue One as an example of like how off-putting the technology can be for uh Peter Cushing and as grandma for Tarkin. But also that was seven years ago. Yeah. And yeah. and that technology has made leaps and bounds in a way because you're still able to get like with the new avatar mm. like that, which is a completely CG movie, it's fake it's yeah. characters, and they're still able to emote and show human-like emotion. So I definitely see if the technology to be able to create Dances with Smurfs too, and, <laughs> you know, save the whales, if you will, which, honestly, <laughs> I, I kind of liked that movie, even though it's terrible. Like it's like not great written, but it's still fun.
2: I still haven't uh, seen it. That I haven't be- seen either of them. So I, I don't necessarily plan on 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 putting that in my rotation anytime soon.
1: Hey man, you do, you do you, but going
3: <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead Again. and assume that the superior save the whales film is still Star Trek four. Of course, I mean that's the
2: yeah, that's well, the I'll fucking see, gold see. standard, Doctor Ruth. That's the gold standard.
1: I mean, obviously, that is the gold standard of all whale-based cinema. Thank you. Then and we can mean, wrap it up there. Thanks a sense. lot,
2: team. We appreciate it. No, just kidding. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh,
1: but, but that being said, with the instances that we're getting with, you know, de-aging of Sam Jackson in Captain Marvel, including Christopher Reeve in The Flash, the technology is there. It's different. Granted, Christopher Reeve didn't say anything because that would have been a little bit too much and too weird in the flash. But I I personally, I, I have an interesting like push pull relationship with it because I believe that studios like Warner brothers don't want to get themselves into any more hot water over rights of being able to utilize somebody's image, they obviously must have gone to the estates of George Reeves and Christopher Reeve and anybody else that they want to utilize their image and get the okay, or just talk to the person if they're still alive and say, hey, we want to use your image. And is that okay? Get the paperwork and sign it. Um, But for me, it's also the kind of thing of, it's a really interesting way to kind of show the history and like the fanfare behind behind like all this comic book media for DC Comics and we're getting to a point where we're resetting it with James Gunn so I'm okay with towards the end of it them taking a nod to their past as they kind of look to the future with their newest Superman which will be Superman legacy, and who knows? Maybe we'll have to talk about that Superman too. We've already talked about two other
2: Superman, and we've already had a really in-depth conversation, which you can listen to in the episode before because we just revisited this with our Ove Superman episode from uh, the, our pandemic quarantine days. But you're, we're talking about you know the CGI thing, and I know we initially we had started with you know this idea of 1989, but I know it's been like uh, I don't know a year since the you two since the movie's been out, but you triggered me. With this conversation of, of AI and recreation of people, and the first thing I thought about was Harold Ramis in Ghostbusters Afterlife because you were like, oh, it would be one thing for him to be in the movie, but it would be another thing for him to speak. And I kind of wanted to open this up a little bit and just kind of pick everybody's brains about their thoughts, I guess, on, on Harold Ramis being in the movie. Um, and did how you do find you, that?
1: How do you make that? How do you make that movie without
2: Harold? Well, Ramis? That, I, that's that's exactly what my my point was going to be was how do you start or how do you complete this afterlife movie? Just like to your point with going back into the into their past with DC, Ghostbusters needed to close that chapter with Harold Ramis before they moved forward. I think I'm just it's more or less do you find the Harold Ramis CGI or AI or whatever you want to call it as off-putting as maybe a Grand Moff Tarkin, or do you think they nailed that one? Do you think they did that more effectively than these other flicks?
1: Well, I would like to start by saying 1989 is when Ghostbusters 2 came
0: out. It ties
2: (laughs) in! It fucking ties in! (laughs) Go ahead, Greg.
0: What are your thoughts? I'd Uh, love
1: to hear your opinion.
0: They're using CGI to not make him look like a human being. He's right. a ghost in the movie. That's fine. I'm really okay with that. that. That's not unsettling. That's not ghoulish, as you said before. That's an appropriate usage of it. I mean, it really does come down to the ethics of it, and I feel like you know he may have had the opportunity in life. I don't know to say like yeah, if that ever happens, yeah, you can you can you can Obi wan me. Sure, that's fine. You can
2: Obi Wan me. Would they Obi Wan Egon, Greg? Yeah. They Obi Wan yeah. Egon.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay. It's it's at this point, it's like a case by case basis. How they use it, what's the subject matter? You know, were they alive to really give the okay for it? Did they have the opportunity to put their two cents in? Were they asked yeah. about it in life? Like, Greg, I agree old? that
3: it's like it's contextual, right? Like it, yeah. I, mean, I think you can tell when. It's you can tell when the people making it are trying to be respectful and you can tell when they are, in my opinion.
0: And like like you were saying, Prince, he said no. So they did it anyway,
2: which is totally um, fucked up. Like, why would they like again? Like, I can't I can't understand why somebody would like if
0: that, it's so ridiculous. That, that's worse than not asking him at all.
2: Oh, right. If right.
0: You just didn't ask him.
2: They just like, did it.
0: You. Yeah. So, uh, that case, I think it was appropriate, especially because they probably had a bunch of his friends and not even in his estate, his old coworkers be like, uh, yeah, I think that would be, that'd be good. Just don't fuck it up. (laughs) Just don't (laughs) Don't mess it up, man. (laughs) Well,
2: so I, I, you know, we could, I could definitely spend hours talking about this, but I want to get back to the 1989 theme. Um, because I know Jeff is, that's that's the the theme of the fucking show, Greg. Uh, but, hey. hey, how you doing? How's it going? uh, Gabagoo. Uh, Jeff, I know you're very excited about Indiana. Uh, Greg, I, I went with it, all right? Just, I, I haven't been with you guys in three just keep years. Going, I'm just keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it Keep it rolling. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny releases on June 30th, 2023. If you could see Jeff's face right now, he's very excited. I was a fan of the original beaming. three. He's beaming from ear to ear right now. I was a fan of the original three movies, but. The previous or the number four installment, man. I uh, I have thoughts on that, and I I just feel like I need to I need to get an idea, Jeff. What are your thoughts? Because I know everybody has some shit to say about the the, the nuclear explosion and the fucking the the refrigerator, which was you lost me. I mean, Shia LaBeouf isn't bad, but like I don't know. It just it felt like it was there's something missing. <laughs> I heard it, Greg. Shia LaBeouf.
1: LaBeouf. <laughs> well, well to, kind of, to kind of bring it to that, I mean, why focus on an aspect of something that we don't like, right? Um, I don't like Indiana Jones for In a world that I live in, there are three Indiana Jones movies, and then they are coming out with a fourth Indiana Jones titled Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. However, all that being said... Uh, Yeah, I'm really excited that we're getting more Indiana Jones. Uh, It's going back to its roots. I'm interested to see what they could do with that character. I'm interested to see why Harrison Ford has decided to come back. Is the script that good, or does he just want money? Indiana Jones is my favorite film franchise. It's my favorite film character of all time. He's the everyman. He likes to punch Nazis. There is also going to be some aspect which we could probably talk about after it comes back, because yeah, they're going to de-age Harrison Ford for, like, flashbacks to the 1930s. So that can give us even more to talk about in terms of this subject. But, you know, come on. Like, yeah, we have Lucasfilm that has been utilizing Star Wars for so much content. Indiana Jones has gone virtually untouched. They tried to do something with Willow, too. And honestly, the Willow show was not bad. Like, Lucasfilm has these other properties. Indiana Jones, and the way that they're Putting it, it's like this is the end of the franchise. Okay, end it. I'm okay with that. Indiana Jones doesn't necessarily need to be rebooted. Like, if you want to give a good ending because you felt like Indiana Jones four didn't really do it justice to the legacy of it, I'm happy with you giving it another try. Also, like Harrison Ford fucking rocks. Yeah, I will watch anything with that man in it. Did you guys see Shrinking? He's so fucking good in
2: in that show. He
3: was he was great in that show. Actually, I I like that show in general. I thought it was um, very interesting
2: comedy. Um, I'm about three episodes into it, and I'm really enjoying everything I'm watching so far. But I want to I want to draw a point to this too because we're we're talking about. You mentioned that that you know this is a a, sort of a not a reboot but a a redo, if you will, of the last Indiana Jones. this is the first Indiana Jones that's not directed by Spielberg and it's not written by George Lucas. Uh mm-hmm. and I know there was controversy with, you know, when The Force Awakens happened, when you know, oh, it's not Lucas, it's J.J. Abrams writing this and, you know, there was a lot of talk and and ups- upset feelings about him not being involved in it. Do you think the product is going to suffer because of that or do you think it's time for someone else to take over the reins of the ship?
1: Okay, so when we're looking at Indiana Jones, it was still Indiana Jones for it was still produced by Spielberg. Right. And Spielberg had uh, not uh, well, it was still directed by Spielberg. It was produced by Lucas and Lucas still had a lot of say in what would happen in the script. Now, whether or not you want to blame Lucas or Spielberg or whoever for Indiana Jones for it didn't work. And also, I'm okay with Spielberg saying I'm going to take a step back from this. Um, I, I'm interested to see James Mangold's vision of Indiana Jones. Sp- Spielberg is still very included in the process. He is a producer on it. He executive produced it as well. Um, it's not like his handprints and fingerprints aren't going to be on it. There's still probably going to be that iconic like thwap punch that you hear every time somebody gets punched in the face that's wearing a swastika. I was just going to say the, that's the
2: official sound of a nazi getting punched in a fucking mouth and I just I can't get enough of it. It's so <clears throat> But you know, why not
1: why not do it if the people who obviously want to make this movie and Indiana Jones himself Harrison Ford is saying, "Yeah, let's do this." Like you know, art is art. We 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 might not I've gotten Michael Keaton back as Batman because, you know, what if he said no? Okay, if they propose Indiana Jones 5 and Harrison Ford says no, okay, you don't have Indiana Jones 5. But we're living in a world where Harrison Ford said, yeah, I'll be Indiana Jones again. We
2: should all be fucking excited for that. Absolutely. Greg, what are your thoughts? Uh,
0: Yeah, no, I'm kind of just... Echo chambering with Jeff with James Bangold. I mean, I just did the math real quick. He was 17 when the first Indiana Jones came out. He's imprinted on how Indiana Jones came to be and all the spoofs and little nuances and we are going to die. That nonsense. Like, you say that, and people get the vision of Indiana Jones with a freaking giant centipede crawling across his face. Right. Uh, And I'm looking up his resume, like, Logan, Ford versus Ferrari, The Wolverine, uh, Night and Day, Three Ten to Yuma—like this dude makes really great movies. And uh, like, I, Call of the Wild, like the, uh, James Mangold—I I, I didn't realize how great of a director he is. And you know, I'm pretty excited to see it. So I think it's really good that Spielberg probably either it's because he's older and um, is maybe just you know he's just collecting checks at this point, or maybe he's older and understands that he is removed from what is mainstream and what will really get people in the theater. He is still the guy who made Indiana Jones in 1981. That was his, That the 80s was when Spielberg, 80s and 90s when was when Spielberg was top of the charts and he's really not anymore. He, he just isn't. It's, it, you know, it sucks for him, but you know he's he's still a great director. But he's not—I the best that ever was anymore. I don't think. so. I don't I necessarily think there's know. A it. few more directors that are much better than him. He's still a great, great director. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying he is not top, top, top. He's definitely S tier. He's, S-tier, he's, also but he's just not, not
3: interested in. He's not interested in doing blockbusters anymore. Is another right. way to put it, right? Like he does. He doesn't need he, to. Yeah. He did get nominated for an Oscar last year.
1: I mean, he gets nominated for an Oscar almost any time that he makes a movie and whether or not you're going to credit that for the fact that, yes, he actually deserves that or if it's because he's Steven Spielberg. I will say that, you know, no, I'm going to disagree with the statement that like Steven Spielberg still like doesn't have it or like he like it's. He is such an iconic imprint on the legacy of film. Like, Steven Spielberg, you put his name on the movie. I mean, we know this from, like, the 90s, when he executive produced so much shit. You put his name on it, like, it immediately has a box office increase of at least $100 million. Like, the man man has pulled his name. And I will also say, like, seeing The Fablemans, yeah, he he did that, and it was his more personal piece, but it also was not that long ago that he made Ready Player One, which was absolutely yeah. a blockbuster. And that movie also fucking rocked.
0: Yeah. Um, it, the, like, it, he, it, it's it's a matter you're not, of, you're not wrong. Lincoln
3: and... Have, you know, yeah. I have a very different opinion about Ready Player One than you do.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's fine, but, but I think it's more around the fact of whether it is the legacy of Indy 4 that made spielberg want to step back or wanting to work on other projects whatever it may be that is between steven spielberg and james mangold i i I'm, I'm here for the fact that one i think it's going to be really interesting to see another director's take on this character we've only had the steven spielberg vision and while we like while we like this I wouldn't say it's the same as when we had the Disney sequel trilogy because we've only had one George Lucas original trilogy, Star Wars, and then, it was, Mark, and then it was Kirshner and Marquand. We got three George Lucas prequels, and okay, like you can feel about those however you want to feel about them, but we've only had Steven Spielberg doing Indiana Jones. I'm happy to see somebody else take a shot at it and I I'm really excited to have Indiana Jones back in the theaters. You know, me, uh, I'm going to be very, very intolerable about my excitement. And if you want to check back in with me afterwards to see if I was super depressed about how it was, or it was the fucking best movie ever. Sure. But the facts are this: Indiana Jones is coming back in theaters, and my ass will be there on day one, dressed up as Indiana Jones.
2: If you didn't dress up as Indiana Jones for this this opening, I'd be a little upset with you. But this episode airs on Tuesday the twenty seventh, and the movie comes out on the thirtieth. So we'll definitely we're definitely going to talk about it. Um, I just really need to make sure that you take photos of yourself while you're there because I want to I want to see you in full. Indiana Jones regalia, because I don't think I would be able to survive without seeing that.
1: I mean, absolutely, I'm and super you know, hyped. Uh, it is something that will happen. Um, since we're going to also perhaps like transition off of the 1989 theme, do we want to touch on the Little Mermaid?
2: I mean, we can. Yeah, we could talk about, about a little bit. Like, yeah. we,
3: we can't talk about. We can't move on from 1989 without talking yeah. about Little Mermaid. That we, is what I am here
2: for, and we have to. All right, so Dr. Ruth, please. Discuss The Little Mermaid <laughs> this, with us, This uh, the yeah, new well, live action. What were your thoughts? Any feedback? Let's hear it.
3: Uh, yeah, I went and saw it um, with my girlfriend. Um, oh, boy, this week? That was feels so long ago. <laughs> um, and, you know, here's the thing. I have been very, like, do we really need these live action remakes about a lot of the Disney live action remakes? And then I looked at the runtime for this one, and I was like, two hours and 15 minutes. This is a children's movie. They're not going to be able to sit through that. But... Those things aside, uh, it was actually quite delightful. And I liked a lot of the changes that they made from the original for a more modern audience. Um, Aside from just the more diversity in the casting, um, there were some things that actually my girlfriend pointed out to me because I had not remembered that these lines were originally in the movie. They changed some of how Ursula talks to Ariel about... um, being transformed and losing her voice. Like in the original, there's that line, you'll have your looks, your pretty face, and don't forget the importance of body language. And that's all sexual, which is a little uncomfortable looking back on the 89 Little Mermaid, where she's explicitly stated to be 16. Um, So that line is not in the remake at all. And actually, they completely reverse it and make it be... Ursula going ha, if you can't talk you won't be able to actually bond so of course it won't be successful and then they had these cute little scenes of prince eric and ariel when she is in human form and can't talk even though she can't speak still bonding over shared hobbies and like getting to know each other mm. i thought that's nice you sort of missed that in the in the in the cartoon a little bit um they also took out a line from kiss the girl and i think in the original it says something like you can't ask her. And it's like, well, but she can still hear. You could still totally ask her something. It's just that she can't talk. So that, that's gone. Um, other highlights David Diggs was very good as Sebastian the Crab. Um, most of the CG was pretty good. Hallie Bailey was very adorable. She's a good singer. Um, I think the one thing that didn't land for me was um, they they cast Aquafina as Scuttle the Bird.
2: Mm. And
3: it just is not.
2: Not Aquaf- the right fit. Aquafina?
3: Yeah. It just it didn't quite fit for me. Either. I think that maybe like for little kids, that was like the goofy songs that they would probably really love. But when I was in theater, anytime that happened, I was like, I just feel like the voice is not matching what they're trying to do with this character at all. Mm. But it is if you have small children, um, I think that they would greatly enjoy the movie. It was very cute. Um, still got some of the songs stuck in my head, particularly some of the Broadway based ones that were new to the live action film.
1: Mm. Uh,
3: the important
1: things are: Is there enough references to
2: Hoppers and Snarfblats? These are the important yes. questions.
3: Those are. Yeah. That's all fully yeah. there. Excellent. Uh, the yes. sequence was retained. Actually, you know, what was nice for me on a nostalgia level. Cause I also, I think in general, I have some opinions about how much of our media these days is a soft well, I was going to say that
2: and I, I'm glad you brought um, that up because I was going to tie the, the rest of the episode back to that as yeah. we wrap up here. But I want to know if we're kind of like morally bankrupt, not maybe creatively bankrupt. Like, because it, you know, yeah. I, I love the idea that we're doing little, little mermaid and, and Batman's coming back and Indiana Jones is here, but it's also like, have we just officially completely run out of ideas?
3: I'd love to. I'm just one last Little Mermaid, a specific thing sure. before we transition to that. Actually, because I think this is related, is that as someone who I think has not seen the cartoon Little Mermaid since oh boy, probably 1997 was the last time I watched it. Um, and an experience I had watching the live action that was unique was like, oh, I'd forgotten that this scene happened in the original, and now mm. I'm like, I'm having this moment of rem- being reminded of the cartoon. And I, I don't know if that was positive in that instance for me because it had been so long since I'd seen the original. Like, I totally forgotten about the shark chase scene until I saw the live action version. I'm like, oh yeah, this was in the this was in the animated thing. I totally forgotten about that, and a couple of other like line for line scenes that they did that I thought. But you know, it is it is essentially the same movie. It's the same story. It's expanded. It's got some new songs. Um, so the nostalgia thing is interesting. But it was cute, and I enjoyed it.
2: So how are we feeling about being creatively tapped out recently? Bankrupt? A, huh? Sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but creatively bankrupt? Yeah, I guess that's the right word for it, though. I mean, you're right. Like, it's a creative yeah. bankrupt uh, platform. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is anymore. It just feels like there – I mean, are we out of ideas? Like, I, I I'm, and I'm opening this up as a, to a discussion. Like, do <laughs> you think we're doing – because, again, wrestling, pro wrestling suffers from this as well. Like – a lot of yeah, times, what yeah. they do, and and you know, Greg, you've been watching recently too, which I love that. Um, it's yeah. it's basically just the same people keep coming back, you know, and, and we're constantly relying on to use a lack of a better term in what they use in the industry, the old timers, the part timers, and we're not able to build new stars because everybody just wants to see, you know, uh, the Rock, or they want to see Sting and Hogan must pose and everything else, and it's like Nobody- well we're. We're not building anything, so do you think that, that, we're, that Hollywood to is suffering see the same thing? What happens things? to
0: uh, Ariel after The Little Mermaid or anything like that? They, they could have made a sequel to The Little Mermaid.
2: even—how do even, no no you even cover like, with that? Right, that's what I, mean,
3: like,
0: I, I don't know. I'm not a writer. That's their job. I, I would say, it's I think apparently like, not their job.
3: I think the problem is less about people being creatively bankrupt. I think there are a lot of really great, amazing new ideas out there that we probably haven't yeah. just heard of. And I'm not sure this applies to wrestling, but... I think one of the bigger issues with this, with like mainstream media, is not that the creative news stories aren't out there, but that it, the problem is capitalism, right? Because mm. it's like the studios are so much less willing to take a risk on something new that they don't know will be successful versus, hey, this is a property that we already own the IP to and we know people will go see. Let's make that instead.
2: Well, It'll be I think, for I think parents, there's part so. of that.
1: I think it's part of that, but at the same time, I don't necessarily think in terms of the movie industry that it's, it's, yeah, the major content that's being consumed in terms of like the most money is your superhero and comic book and Marvel movies. But at the same time, we're still getting really great movies from like a 23 in those studios, like everything, everywhere, all at once was a fantastic movie and that really was a huge risk. And also people forget that when Marvel studios was still making these movies early on, they were risks. So we may get another everything everywhere all at once style movie in like that universe. Who knows? But I think the ideas are there. It's just a matter of what the audience
3: goes out and sees. No, like, I think that's sort of what I meant about, like, the, clearly the ideas are there, but it's just if we're if we're feeling like we're seeing a regurgitation of things that have already existed that studios and everyone knew people already liked, it's 100% because they're interested in their bottom line,
1: right? Like I also think that the scope has changed a lot for what can be considered, like, the successful aspect with the inclusion of, you know, all these different streaming platforms and content that is specifically for streaming. I mean, we're getting this brand new Arnold Schwarzenegger show, Fubha. which like realistic, yeah, FUBO. which like you wouldn't get outside of like streaming because that is a new avenue, right? That is willing to take the risk. Uh, Amazon Studios takes huge risks on movies and content that other traditional media would not. And part of it's because they don't give a fuck if they lose money because they're just going to make it back when we're buying stuff on Amazon. I think that the paradigm has changed that because... There are so many other options for content to be made and produced with that your traditional forms of media, like your big movie studios, are going to rely a little bit more on like the tried and true blockbuster sequels, reboots and such. And you're not going to get as much risky content. And if you do, I think you're going to see it on the streaming platforms and less on the silver screen.
3: I will say, though, Jeff, I don't disagree with anything you said there, but I think that everything related to that is also why the writers are very validly on strike right now.
2: Of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
3: Right, because they're they're the ones making these success, really successful programs for these streaming platforms that are winning all these awards and all that and absolutely not being compensated fairly. Um, and I, I will actually be very interested to see if SAG goes on strike as well, because it looks very, very much like they're going to. And it's mm. going to, um, in a similar way, be related to there not being any industry regulations about the use of um, machine learning, generative tech, and AI.
2: Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it's it's, it's going to it, – this this AI stuff, which would kind of tie back to the beginning, it's, it's going to affect pretty much everything in every industry. And I'm already seeing in my in my own line of work, like I'm already seeing people getting filtered out because they're utilizing – AI technology for marketing purposes and 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 writing scripts and content and stuff like that. And it's like that's not what this is for. Like you you you're you know you're losing the human touch and the human aspect of this, and you're going to completely decimate an entire group of people's income and earnings because you want to save a couple bucks. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, then again, neither does capitalism. So uh, anyway, we well, can talk about that a whole other time. But uh, this has been a lot of fun, and yeah. I am so glad to have the three of you back. Uh, in the captain's chairs with me to do this program. Uh, we have a lot of fun content coming down the pipeline for you. A lot of stuff that we're going to dig out of the archives and and, and and shake the dust off of, including our final installment of Dungeons and Dragons, where we try to get the hammer back from Dr. Hones. So we don't know when that's going to happen, but we will do that at some point. And we're also going to do the breakfast meet-off super showdown, Jeff. I don't know if you remember all the way back right oh, before wow. the world shut down. Uh-
0: I still have that meat. I, I
1: still have it.
3: You kept that meat? It's been like four yeah. years, Doug. <laughs> you <I> would throw <laughs> that <Yeah>. away, dude. <laughs> oh, it's, it's long
2: gone. Oh, my God, man. I was
1: about to say, like, if you're expecting us to eat that, I might. <laughs> not I a, really a fucking
2: chance in hell, brother. That's <laughs> That ain't happening it's dry here.
1: I
0: aged in a brown paper bag at the bottom of the fridge.
2: Love it, dude. It's artesian. It's artesian, it's artesian meat now. Juice. It's what it is. Artesian meat. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's specialized. Artesial. Yeah. Did you come up yeah. with a artis- artisanal? Yes, and it costs twenty eight dollars. It's, it's also going to
0: cause artisanal diarrhea.
2: <laughs> more than just the diarrhea. Very quick and painful poisoning. So, uh, no, yes. we have a lot of cool stuff, and we're going to talk about more of this nerd stuff and everything that we love to talk about all the time. Uh, so, Jeff. Uh, Greg, Dr. Ruhr, thank you so much for joining me today on the program. My name is Adam Bernard. You can find the entire archive in foundationradio.net. We will see you again next week for another installment of Sam Watches Bad Wrestling Poorly, where I force Sam Krebs to watch the Survivor Series 1994 match between Jerry Lawler. Wait, I I want to join. Jerry Lawler and the King's Court. Versus Joint the Clown and Clowns Are Us. It was a uh, fucking disaster when I tell you how bad it was. Uh, listen, if you guys want to burp with us, terrible. if you want to burp with us, it would be h- amazing to watch it um, together collectively. It's real fucking bad. But we got a lot <sighs> of stuff coming down there. So we'll see you again next week. Peace. What?
0: Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and produced by Adam Barnard. Additional production and narration provided by Sam Kreps. The show was mixed and engineered by Carl Pinnell. Our intro and outro music was performed and produced by Dumb Ugly. Additional musical accompaniment provided by Enrichment. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Alme. Follow us on Twitter at FND Radio Pod And find our entire archive at FoundationRadio.net. This has been a bunch of Butts Carlton Media Production. Butts Carlton Proprietor.